Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So the 15th chapter of our Dhammapada review is the Sukhavaga, uh, subtitled Profound Contentment. Um, Sukha is the opposite of the counter to Dukkha. Um, Dukkha is uh, confusion, disappointment, stress, and suffering rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Sukha um, literally means human flourishing, or another word for that would be content. I'm content because my my human life feels like I'm flourishing in it. Um, but that's an internal flourishing rather than an external flourishing. It's not related to anything outside of myself. It's related to the quality of my mind. Following last, um, what should I say, last Saturday's chapter of the Buddha Bhagavad Gita, the restraint of the Buddha points to um, what we do to become Buddha. So the Buddha was a human being who awakened but he taught other people to do the other human beings to do the same thing. So there wasn't just one Buddha who was some kind of magical, mythical creature that no one can really emulate. In fact, everything he did for the last 45 years of his life was to teach other people to emulate him, to awaken as he had. And so he taught an eightfold path as a limiting path, limiting us for ongoing eye making, ongoing um, being driven by ongoing ego satisfaction satisfaction, uh, a fabricated ego that we, we learned to understand that through the Dhamma. And so here, the Sukhavaga, the Buddha teaches in very clear terms what awakening feels like, what Buddhahood, actual Buddhahood, feels like. And he also teaches the opposite of it. Um, I think I say this every week, but this is one of the most profound chapters in that it, it contains an entire teaching on what the Buddha taught and why we practice this, as long as you understand the context of dependent origination for noble truths. The Sukhavaga, profound contentment. The wise live content within a hostile world. So the first line of every one of these chapters tells kind of the whole chapter. The wise live content in a hostile world. The world is a hostile place. There is dukkha. What does the wise do? What does the wise understand? That hostility that's present in the world is rooted in greed, aversion, and deluded thinking that itself is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Knowing that, understanding that, why should I take it personal? It's not happening to me. It's happening as a result of ignorance. And I'm fortunate enough to know that. And it's to extricate myself from that ignorance that makes up a world hostile. The wise live content within a hostile world. We don't need the world to be any different, which means we don't need ourselves to be any different. Within a hostile world, the wise remain free of hatred. And hatred, in this sense, is not something that might drive you to strike somebody or kill somebody or do, do some extreme violence. But hatred is in any is any type of aversion. And we're using hatred to just make the point. If I am averse to something, anything, including myself, it means that I want something to be different, including myself. 
which is taking things personally. The wise remain free of hatred. The wise live content within a world afflicted by craving. Within an afflicted world, the wise remain free of that affliction. Wise, it means we've learned, we've developed enough knowledge to not get entangled in the world. The wise live content within a world afflicted by greed. Within an insatiable world, the wise remain free of greed and so content. The wise live content possessing nothing. And that doesn't mean we have to run out now and get rid of all of our possessions and, and walk around naked because we don't need anything. That's not what the Buddha is talking about. He practiced that, remember, and he found that painful and ignoble. What it means is we don't create an identity by the things around us or the things we might have in our home or the car that we drive or the relationships that we have. None of it, it instigates eye-making. The wise of content, content possessing nothing. How do we get there? How do we get to that understanding that I don't need to associate or cling myself to, to external impermanent objects, events, views, and ideas by understanding what it means to be a six-property person, and that's all that I can ever be. And we, you know, we have classes on the Dr. Labanga Sutra, but briefly, a six-property person, every human being, is made up of these six properties, and no matter what they do in their life, they can't add to that. External stuff is just a story of the life, but it doesn't define the life, or it shouldn't anyway. In a healthy, stable mind, it won't. The sixth property person is the four elements, earth, wind, fire, and water. The fifth property, space, right? There needs to be space here. There needs to be a space in my mouth and down my lungs for me to breathe and to digest food. And for all the stuff that goes on in my body, it needs space. I need space in which to animate myself. And the sixth property of consciousness. And it's not some grand cosmic consciousness that we're all part of. There's no such thing as that, or at least no such thing in relation to the Dhamma. But it is my thinking that's going to animate the other five properties. And if I can learn to control my thinking, to limit it, to stop eye-making, now I'm content. The wise live content possessing nothing. The wise are sustained by peace and understanding. And I think all of you understand that. Peace and understanding is what sustains us, isn't it? That's what we're striving for. It may be, maybe not until we have a little bit of that, uh, but it's what we always wanted, isn't it? I always did. I, I was confused about it, and I thought that I had to acquire special knowledge or this or that. But all that I wanted was to understand what it meant to be a human being. And I finally found out. The fires of passion burn the hottest. Hatred is the highest crime. There is no suffering like the five clinging aggregates, form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and again, that ongoing consciousness. When that thinking is rooted in ignorance and animating the other four aspects of it, there is suffering. Then the Buddha says there, there is no higher peace than understanding. Following that line, there is no suffering like the five clinging aggregates. There is no higher peace than understanding. Understanding what? The five clinging aggregates, which is the Buddha's description of ongoing dukkha, the personal experience of suffering rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. We can't escape it, but we can understand it. Why did I say it? We can't escape it, but we can understand it. Because no matter what we do, no matter how far we go in the, in the Dhamma, even becoming Buddha, becoming awakened, 
there's going to be dukkha. That's the first noble truth. So if we really understand that, we know there's no escape from it. So what's the next best thing, if you will? It's understanding it. And it's understanding that anything out there is not personal. So if I don't get everything that I want at the end of the day, I'm content. If I win the lottery, guess what? I'm content. If terrible, awful things happen out in the world, I'm content. If I lose a loved one, I understand it. And I'm content. Every time I say that, I think of walking into my father's funeral after he died. And I just had this, I hadn't seen her for a couple of weeks and I saw my father in a, you know, in a coffin, open coffin. And rather than being afraid or uh, overly exaggeratedly sad, I just had this feeling of, of profound peace and, and really contentment for having known this man. And, it, it, and I still think that was one of the most remarkable experiences of my life because I'm walking into this room where everybody is crying, everybody's upset, and rightly so, that's what happened. And all that I had was deep appreciation for this wonderful man. There was nothing else there. Profound contentment. Craving is the worst disease. Conditioned thinking brings the worst suffering. Conditioned thinking meaning conditioned towards thinking, I need to make this moment. I need to manage it somehow. Conditioned thinking brings the worst suffering Knowing this as it really is, the wise awaken. Good health is highly esteemed. Contentment is the greatest wealth. A trustworthy person is the best friend. And ending ignorance is the highest joy. Having savored the taste of solitude and release, free of distress, free of greed, aversion, and delusion, the wise disciple drinks deep the taste of truth, for noble truth. Association with the noble ones is blissful. Encountering fools is stressful. Association with fools brings constant craving. Why? Because they're constantly craving and we can't help but be influenced by those that we associate with. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't live in the world. It doesn't mean that we should only associate with Dharma practitioners. It does mean that off our cushion, we should maintain that common peaceful mind and not get associated by eye-making with other things and other people or what, what the, um, all the various tribes that are out there today that we might have been one of, now we're not. Association with fools bring constant craving. Association with fools is as pay painful as partnering with an enemy. Therefore, follow the noble one who is steadfast, wise, learned, arduous, a person of high integrity. Follow only such a person who is truly pure and wise as the moon follows the stars. I read that last line. As the moon follows the stars. That's how we do it. <clears throat> Profound contentment. Jane, what are you content tonight? How's that putting somebody on the, on the <laughs> Yes, I am. Thank you, John. You better. <laughs> Thank you for the teaching. I have nothing to add. Thank you, Jane. Mr. Camp. Evening, John. Evening, everybody. Good evening, uh, Jeff. Yeah, even even though even though I know 
and, and feel the truth of all this, I still catch myself different times of the day being caught up in that, being overwhelmed um, by, by, <laughs> by the opinions of those around me. It's just sometimes staggering. And I, I, I catch myself, and even though I know better, I catch myself thinking I'm responsible for changing that or correcting that or, um, and I, 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 I do it all the time. I catch myself thinking that, okay, I'm personally responsible somehow to change all this. And of course it's nonsense. It, you, you're just inviting more torture. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you recognize that that's your, that's your conditioned response in the moment. Oh, correct. Yeah. I, even though I, even though I, I think I should know better, it is a conditioned response. It's a knee jerk yeah. response. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It has a, it has um, a substance to it or seemingly a substance to it. Although it's, as the Buddha teaches us, it's like foam on the water. There's really nothing there. Yeah. I, I'm often at a loss for words to respond to people some of the things that they come, come to me with. And yeah, uh, that's where noble silence comes in, huh? Well, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult not because I, 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 don't, I don't mind being silent. It's just that it's often not socially appropriate in the situation. And it's yeah. hard to come up with a comment that doesn't, doesn't uh, condone what's being said or lead into more discussion of the same. Um, yeah. yeah. This is a beautiful suda. I love it. Isn't it? I feel the Thank same you. way. Thank yeah. you, Jeff. John, well, quick question. Sure. When you say foam on the water in in relation to Brian's comment about somebody saying something and wanting to respond, what can you help me understand what is conditioned thinking and what is the foam versus well, the, the foam on the water simply signifies that these things that are creating stress and suffering and, and distraction for us really have no substance save for what we're holding in mind, which really comes down to wanting something to be different. But from the time we're born, and this is just the world we live in, we're conditioned to think that we always have to be grasping after something or avoiding something. That's called ongoing eye making. It's rooted in the ego. And it doesn't mean that we don't go out in the world and do things and you know, go to work and maybe have a family and do all those things. But we don't take any of it personally. And so we understand the, the, the rise and fall of fortune, whether it's monetary or possession, it's still like foam on the water, isn't it? Just arises and passes away. So when we get down to the essence of our own thinking, we're conditioned to think towards greed and aversion. But the Buddha figured out a way to recognize that and abandon it. Does that answer your question, at least a little bit? Okay, thanks for the question. Deborah. Thank you for the lesson. Hello, everyone. Hello, Deborah. I find um, a, lot, uh, a good portion of my life I am content in and I know when I'm not <laughs> but also um, at this time of year at school 
we are struggling with, is it May 27th yet? <laughs> it's an ongoing struggle to everybody wanting to be out of school. So uh, I am personally struggling with that, but I am a content human for the most part. So I liked the Suda and I'm grateful that it was here for me to ponder since Saturday. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Deborah. Does anybody not want to be on camera? Laura? Yeah, thanks for reading and teaching that, John. I was just thinking about the, um, um, how the wise are content even in living in, in insatiable walls. Yeah. That line that you read about that, because especially now, I was talking to Matt about this earlier, you know, with our phones, most of us, which most of us have smartphones, you know, you're constantly bombarded with things to buy or to, um, you know, consume or even just, you know, in general, just wanting to more know, of what you know. have. What's that? Even to know. Even to know. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good example, actually, because even something that might seem innocuous, like, oh, let me just read this, or yeah. um, you find yourself like an hour later kind of wasting time, um, and your mind is just kind of scattered or content and at peace. So I was just thinking about how important this is for me and my life and trying to learn from it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for, for that, too. The, the the big zillionaires of the last 20 years yeah. figured out a way to tap into the need for that insatiable need for constant distraction. And that's, exactly. the, I mean, that, all these, all of these things on that phone are unnecessary. I mean, they really are. Yeah. And yet people are so addicted, stolen focus, a great book. Mm -hmm. We can't get our heads out of our, out of our phones. And most people, especially children today, the only interaction they have with the outside world is through an app, and it, I don't. We're we're getting stuck more and more in that insatiability of a hostile world. Right. But we don't have to either. We can take to the dollar and understand oh, yeah. that. Yeah, the meditation too. I've noticed helps with my concentration to actually sit down and read long books again. Um, yeah, I, I was like, I could not for the longest time. I could not like finish a novel and now it's like okay i was yeah i can say this i, I was really surprised that um let me just think of it just as fairness I, I i'll say this in a general term that i can't i recently worked with somebody who's um is in their late thirties, and they said they never read a book in their life. <clears throat> they said they listen to books, but they can't read books anymore. Because mm -hmm. I gave, I gave them a copy of Becoming Buddha. Mm -hmm. Keep it. I'm not going to read. I said, I, it's astonishing to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, how could you? How could you not? How could you not want to read? You know? yeah. <laughs> well, I have two children yeah. who are in that in that category. One because. Reading is hard for her, but the other one, it's, 
doesn't interest yeah I, again I, I it's so hard for me to i mean i believe it because i i believe it but yeah i it's how could you not just be a little bit curious right. or just to, even a distraction of a good trashy right. novel I mean, right. what, yeah but there's still people that are you know that finished high school you know some of them even finished college and still are not in, and in, but how long have we been doing this as as human beings yeah only a couple hundred years yeah that's right, that's right. Mm -hmm. well so anyway. thank you laura zach how are you tonight doing well uh happy to be here thank you for the teaching i think i'm going to take noble silence i'm glad you're here julia how are you i'm well thank you um i was struck by thank you for the teaching i was struck That's by true. the line about striving for peace and understanding and i had some questions about it because Please. i think there's probably a healthy way to go about striving for peace and understanding and a less healthy way to go about striving for peace and understanding. And that's where I got conflicted. Yeah, it's a great question. It, striving for peace and understanding is becomes counterproductive when we insist that things out there change before I can be peaceful, mm -hmm. which is what the condition that most people place on peace and understanding. Mm -hmm. When the Buddha, and remember the Buddha, well, the Buddha grew up in times that are so similar to these, these times, meaning as far as violence in the world, as our time. It was just, there was always wars going on in my lifetime. There hasn't been a day where there wasn't a war going on somewhere. That was true during the Buddha's lifetime as well. And so he was exposed to the same kind of insatiability out in the world, a world driven by greed and aversion because of deluded thinking. So he didn't teach changing external conditions and then you can be peaceful he taught a way that human beings can be peaceful in a hostile world there is dukkha it's the first noble truth and this also points to the subtle subtler levels of the dhamma which move us away from thinking that we need to save ourselves or save the world all that we need to do is understand because the world is always going to be this way if we believe the first noble truth there is dukkha as a consequence of having a human life. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be stress and suffering. There's going to be things that an unknowing person would want to be different rather than understand. So it, it sounds like, oh, or do you mean that we have to accept violence and be for violence and poverty and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the grievances that people have today? No, it's just the opposite of that. I mean, we understand the conditions of the world that create can lead to violence and poverty, et cetera, et cetera. But it also leads to beautiful sunsets and you know, newborn babies and lovely relationships and a beautiful concert and a great golf shot right down the middle. So the, that, that part of dukkha, the part that is unpeaceful, I always talk about the 99 and one, you know, you can argue with the numbers, but it's the 1%, the dukkha part that keeps us distracted from the other 99% of our lives and the people in our lives too. You know, we tend to focus on, you, you never hear about um, Oscar Smith who lived 105 years in complete calm and peace and never harmed a soul, including himself. You don't hear about those people, do you? Mm -hmm. 
you hear about the Hitlers and the, I, don't think, well, I can't think of more modern people today. Those are the ones that we think are, are representative of, of humanity, but they're not. We are. And I'm not just talking about dollar practitioners. Most people are good, honest, compassionate, loving people who care about each other. We really just look out at the world and you can see that. So we get so distracted by the 1% that we can't be peaceful. We can't be rooted in understanding. But when we understand that dukkha occurs as a consequence of having a human life and that it has nothing to do with me unless I contribute towards it, you know, unless I'm contributing to the stress and suffering in the world and I have to recognize that and abandon that part of my behavior. But beyond that, I'm not responsible for it. What I am responsible for is the quality of my own mind and to de develop a peaceful and calm mind through understanding Four Noble Truths. Is that a good enough explanation? May I ask you, uh, are you meditating? Sorry. Great. Mm -hmm. uh, I suggest, and we say this, we try to say this at every class, to use the guided meditations mm -hmm. on the website and start with uh, shorter sessions twice a day rather than one long session. Mm -hmm. At two sessions is, is really significant. So it's I, 20 minutes are hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I start with two five-minute sessions if yeah. that's what you're comfortable with, and that's fine. That's good enough to get going. And then just keep studying. Glad to have you. Here's Rob. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think I have anything to add here. Uh, the, the subject of contentment is just... Uh, It's a difficult thing to discuss, you know, or, or to, to, to argue for. <laughs> well, the question just popped into my head. When you started coming here, way, you know, down across the street, did you know we were, you were coming here to learn how to be content? No. <laughs> no. Um, <clears throat> but now you do. But I started, what drove me, though, was... Uh, my discontent. Yeah. And, you know, had an inkling that this could be the end of my discontent. Yeah. <clears throat> That's exactly how it was for me when I finally realized what these sutras were all about. That I was, I mean, I was born, I used to say I was born so angry that I smacked the doctor. You know? I mean, I really was. I was one discontented <laughs> little child. <laughs> Um, and I stayed that way until I came to the Dharma. I learned how to not act so discontented out in the world, you know, just to survive. But I just, I didn't like anything, even though I was practicing, you know, modern Buddhism for many years. But it wasn't until I realized that I was striving for contentment that I became content. You know? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that in, in my case it was that kind of, outgoing, almost aggressive discontent, but it was still discontent yeah. um, in the sense of, you know, what is this all about, yeah. that kind of discontent, or, or you know, uh, no, I'm not going down that path, uh, yeah. but yeah, but here we are. Yeah, it's just rooted in understanding. Thank you, Ron. Hello, Kevin. Hey, John. Thank you for the teaching. Uh, I don't have anything to add.
Contented and easily satisfied. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Glad you're here, my friend. Hello, David. Hey, Joe. It comes to mind the differences between the greater pleasures and the lesser pleasures. And how would you know? How would you know that the greater pleasure is contentment? versus the lesser pleasures of driven by delusion yeah. and sensuality in the sport of being angry, the sport of chasing things down, the sport of all the things that you typically think of pleasure. And it's that delusion that creates that discontent yeah. and really what are you giving up you're giving up this temporary feeling of joy and success or you know satisfaction that other people join in on your anger yeah. versus the simple pleasure of contentment and a calm and peaceful mind and that's what this practice is get a little bit of concentration so you can see that difference and see that the greater pleasure of the Dhamma is really calming your mind so you can, you know, be content. Yeah. And it gives you so much more time then to truly enjoy the, th the things that are, you know, that can bring you pleasure, but not needing it to be different. Yeah. So. Yeah. Thank you. The greatest pleasure is to be present for your life, isn't it? You know, all the other things are impermanent and really have nothing to do with me. But if I can be present for this moment and I found a way to do it, this is the most meaningful moment I've mm -hmm. ever had in my life. And I, I would say this, you would say the same thing, wouldn't you? Yeah. What else is there but this moment? And then the next moment, the next moment. Mm -hmm. But a well-concentrated mind with a resting in right view is present for each and every one of those moments. Thank you, David. Hello, Matt. John. Hey, everybody. Good to be here with everybody tonight. Um, I like what Julia said and, and what you said there, John, um, that if, if my peace and understanding is dependent on the outside changing, then I'll have neither. And that that's very profound. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and you're just describing being disentangled from that. Yeah. And when you're entangled with it, when you're attached to it, when you're clinging to it, anything that changes is going to be stressful, isn't it? Whether it's on the good side or the bad side, it's still a change. And we don't like change if we're thinking that way. But here, with a supple, well-concentrated mind, change is just change. You know, with the object of change doesn't matter, does it? We're just living our life from the first breath, right, to the last breath. And everything else is an opportunity to be present. And if we're not, we're not. Um, any other questions or comments?
Julia, thank you for that, uh, for that question. I hope I answered it well for you. Uh, it was an important question because it gets right to the heart of the matter. Um, all right, we'll, uh, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. Oh, and I think I should say that uh, this is the last class I'll be teaching for the next four. You got you covered, boss. Got me covered. I had the surgery scheduled, but I, I'm not going to do. It was surgery to get make me six inches taller, so I can sell them. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddhist words on metta. These are the Buddhist words describing the quality of an awakened human being. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense of desires, abandons ignorance of four noble truths. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you, John. See you, Jane. See you, Kemps. Good night. See you, guys. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.